AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. This August marks 25 years that Arthur Ashe Stadium has been home to the U.S. Open in Flushing Meadow Park. And you always talk up how we discuss the big money issues in the world of sports. This is the largest tennis stadium in the world, and the numbers are huge. It generates more than $750 million a year. You add it up... And that's more than $18 billion over 25 years. Yeah. And on top of that, we know the stadium has been home to incredible moments in tennis history. The Williams sisters facing off for the first time, the first primetime women's finals back in the 2001 U.S. Open. Remember that? The U.S. Open 2001 and a historical night for women's tennis. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance surrounding the meeting of Serena Williams and Venus Williams for the U.S. Open Championship. First time, primetime, a women's final at the U.S. Open. And there it is. Venus Williams, the U.S. Open champion over younger sister Serena. The hugs, genuine. Or the incredible matchup between Andre Agassi and James Blake in the 2005 U.S. Open quarterfinals that extended past one in the morning. Andre Agassi, the number seven seed, has outlasted James Blake, 7-6 in the fifth set. An unbelievable tiebreaker and he will advance to the semifinals. Oh, Lord, yeah, I remember that. Or when Billie Jean King, a trailblazer in the sports world, was honored at Arthur Ashe Stadium in 2006 when the USTA renamed the entire complex in Flushing the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. Mikasa es su casa. My house is your house. This is our house. Love you, New York. It's funny to imagine that years ago, the United States Tennis Association was considering moving the Open away from New York City. One of the people we can thank for getting Arthur Ashe Stadium built and keeping the U.S. Open in the New York City area is our guest today on the Bloomberg Business of Sports, Davidoff Hutcher and Citron founding partner, Sid Davidoff. Sid, thank you for joining the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Good to be here with you guys this morning. I, I still can't believe that was 25 years ago plus that they were talking about, you know, maybe we can find a new home. And you said, oh, heck no. Well, you know, it, was, it, is, it really could have been a disaster for New York. Um, it was the perfect storm in a lot of ways because Dave Dinkins was mayor. And, and he was, for those of you who remember David, um, you know, he was the biggest tennis fan ever. Uh, and he wasn't going to let it get away. Uh, his parks commissioner, Betsy Gottbaum, at the time, was also a great 
a tennis enthusiast. Norman Steisel, the first deputy mayor, uh, loves tennis. And Carl Weisbrot, who did the actual negotiation for the uh, Public Development Corporation, part of the city, uh, is just one of the great negotiators. So it came together with a man that really wanted to keep it here. And I remember representing the, uh, the USTA at the time, and there was a real feeling among the board members that they wanted to move out. New York wasn't the place for tennis. It wasn't the, you know, the, the gentlemanly uh, way of the audience that they're used to. Uh, we have screamers and yellers, and people really get into it. And they would have preferred it to go to a place like Atlanta, had gone after them. Several other places were making very nice offers. And, uh, you know, David dug in his heels, uh, the mayor at the time, and um, made it happen. And I got to say, you know, you, you, you talked about some of the numbers of what it meant to the city. It is definitely, definitely the most lucrative um, uh, deal of any stadium in the country. The city put no money into it. The state put no money into it. Uh, it was backed by uh, guaranteed bonds, which were paid off by the uh, uh, USDA. Uh, it is all their money. Um, they and and they run it 48 weeks out of the year when the uh, open isn't there. Uh, they run it for the community. Mm-hmm. They have senior citizen and junior classes, uh, and it's just one of the great facilities. So it would have been really something that that would have been a tremendous loss had we had it gone elsewhere. I like the mention of screamers and yellers. I'm willing to bet that there are some screamers and yellers in Atlanta, too. They might just do it a little bit differently, but, you know, I'm sure they're there, too. Uh, I wonder, Sid, if you can explain a little bit about um, the flight patterns from LaGuardia Airport, because... Flushing is right next to the airport, and anyone who's ever seen a Mets game in Flushing knows that you kind of, when the planes go by, you kind of sit back a little bit, you know it's going to go by. Um, what? How big of a, not drawback, but how big of a factor was that when you began negotiations and the agreement process? It was a major factor. Um, there's no doubt that if we didn't solve that problem, um, that probably would have been the, the deal breaker. Um, Al D'Amato was the United States Senator at the time, um, and uh, he actually held up uh, the confirmation of the president's choice for head of the FAA until he got agreement to get this um, uh, flyover issue resolved. And it really wasn't, in reality, it shouldn't have been an issue because the the way it was structured was in case of emergencies, um, there, you know, obviously they, uh, or weather conditions, whatever it may be, that required the, uh, the flights to fly in on their normal pattern over the stadium, they would have to. And the, there would be a um, fine or uh, return of monies that was owed by the USTA if more than five flights in any hour uh, were, were flew over the stadium that was not part of an emergency declared by the LaGuardia uh, um, uh, uh, leaders. So, and that's impossible. It would mean that there had to be five mistakes made by planes flying over uh, in, in one of the most crowded airspaces in the country. So it really shouldn't have been as big an issue as it was. Uh, and Giuliani, uh, Rudy Giuliani during the campaign made it saying that we would, you know, we were taking away the safety of people in Flushing and the, and the Corona area by doing uh, making a deal. It just wasn't so. Uh, so, 
But there's no doubt that if we didn't solve it, that it, in my mind, that would have been the deal breaker. And I can remember standing in the stadium on Labor Day weekend with David Dakin, putting his finger in my chest saying, this is going to cost me the election. This issue is going is the raw is a, a fight that I that that this is going to make a, a huge amount of difference in the election. And I said, you know, this is what the board wanted. It's a deal breaker. I have you know, I'm just you know the messenger here. So it it, it was. I'm glad you brought it up. It, it, I can remember that so vividly, and knowing that we were fighting a fight that really shouldn't have had to be fought, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but. It, and eventually, it, we won it. it. As you know, in the 25 years of the stadium, there's never been a problem with flyovers. Uh, and if there's an emergency, everybody understands it. And the tennis players understand it. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Sid, I wonder if we can't fast forward 25 years here. You know, you mentioned Flushing, you mentioned Queens, you know, Scarlett's mentioning City Field. The New York City Mayor Eric Adams has recently thrown his support behind the proposed construction of a 25,000-seat soccer stadium just around City Field in, in Queens, right? So my question for you is, having lived through this before, what are the hurdles, uh, you know, to, to, the create, to, to, the, to, to the establishment of this stadium, and, and, and can they be ironed out in time for the 2026 World Cup? Yeah, you know, if if the mayor and and the city field are talking about non park land, that um, it's, they're not using any part of what's designated within the thirteen hundred acres of Flushing Meadow Corner Park. I think it can be. I can tell you from experience that just taking a small part of the park for the uh, for the U.S. Open to expand, and um, that was the fight. Um, in, in, in 90, 90 to 1992, um, it, 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 I couldn't believe, you know, when, we first, when I was first retained to do, uh, to represent the USA on the opening, what could be against the U.S. Open expanding with one stadium in the park? Well, there were a lot of people, and because it's taking parkland, and it requires not only local, the community boards, the city council, the mayor, and, and, the, and the state legislature for alienation of parkland anywhere in the state. It was, it was a three-year fight. If the stadium is there talking about any part of the park, they'll never get this ready for 2026. But if it's on, on purely private land or other, other than parkland, it is doable. This is horribly callous when I talk about Serena Williams, but she's great for business for the U.S. Open because this is it for her career. This is going to be the last time she's going to play in a U.S. Open. Can you take us through that? Ticket sales have been off the hook from what I understand. Absolutely. You know, the 
every so often there is an attraction that brings people out more than they normally would be. And and Serena is, is certainly one who attracts. And the fact that this is going to be her last tournament, that she's retiring from the professional tennis, retiring from the professional tennis uh, uh, field, uh, is something that people want to see. So I hope, as a tennis fan and as a, uh, a, a New York person, I hope that she gets right as goes as far as she can uh, in this tournament, so that people keep coming to the stadium. It'll be it'll be quite a sight to see her in her last performances. I do want to tell one story about the Rational, if you guys have time. Please. Uh, yes. Yeah. Because, as you know, it's Arthur Stadium they're going to be playing in. Uh, and and if anybody deserves a stadium named after him, it's Arthur Ashe. Uh, and, and during the time that we were fighting to get the, the, sta- the expansion of, of the U.S. Open, the footprint to put it on the new stadium, um, we had to go before uh, the four community playing boards that, that uh, encompass uh, Flushing Corona uh, Park, Flushing Meadows Corona Park. Um, and Arthur Ashe would come with us to each one of these meetings and to the and then eventually to the borough board meeting. And I, I tell you, you never met a nicer guy, a more of a gentleman than Arthur Ashe. And he would tell the story of growing up in Virginia in a, uh, and playing in a public court. And he said if he didn't have that ability to play in that public court and, and the affordability to play there and the teachers and mentors who helped him there, he would not be who he was. And most importantly, when he won the U.S. Open, when it was in, in uh, Westside Tennis Club in Forest Hills, he won the U.S. Open there, but he couldn't be a member of the club. He said, that's how important it is for a, a, a public facility, a, a park that's owned by the city of New York and leased to the Tennis Association for the people who play tennis. And it was, I mean, it was for anybody that had any doubts that this is the right place and the right time for that expansion. Arthur Ashe put it to rest. He was fantastic. Old man Barr talking, just a very quick story about Arthur Ashe. I'm a big game show fan, one of my favorite game shows, America Says, and they put up the name the top seven tennis players. And one, it, and they put the initials up, AA. I'm like, oh. This is Arthur Ashe. Andre you know, Agassi. You, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they want Andre Agassi. So this adopted New Yorker was like, what the hell? What just happened here? Well, my congressman is going to hear about this. But but my point is is that, and by the way, the contestant said Arthur Ashe also. Oh, good. And she got it wrong, too, just like I did at home. My point is Arthur Ashe has made such a big impact in the sports, like you said, Sid, that you can't measure the the magnitude of what this man meant for the sport. Yep, and, and it was one of my pleasures to stand and and, and listen to him, be there with him. Um, uh, it was just it was it was one of the, the real great moments of, uh, of what I what I do uh, in this city. I got to ask this: this is unrelated to sports. How in the world did you wind up on Richard Nixon's enemy list? <laughs> Well, that's a good question. You know, and I just did a, a recent interview about it because there's only two of us left on that list that are alive. <laughs> you know, I, there couldn't have been anything more shocking to me. But John Lindsay, I was at that time uh, top eight to John Lindsay. Um, and um, Nixon, who actually 
Uh, Lindsey was on his shortlist for, for vice president in 68. So, you know, he held him in high regard. But as we got closer to 72, and, and John uh, changed his party for a lot of different reasons to the Democratic Party and ran in the Democratic uh, presidential primaries, Nixon obviously saw him as an enemy. Uh, and as someone who could, and you know, he was so paranoid in that White House. Uh, but you couldn't, you know, John Lindsay was a white knight. I mean, you could, you couldn't get to him. So um, the only thing I could figure out is like, and it's in the explanation on on that list that they had as to why they chose the people they chose. They said about me that I, that I you know, I was head of his political movement. You you knocked me down. You knocked him his politics out. So uh, I'm saying it nicely. It was much. Laura in that particular paragraph, um, uh, um, but at any rate, the the uh, so I was the, the father for uh, you know taking on Lindsay if, if you can get to me. Fortunately, they couldn't. Uh, and, but I do do tell you since you asked that it was hell for the next twenty years mm. uh, because once it was put in the process, the IRS, the Attorney General, there was I had my life was not pleasant. Uh, I'm here, overcame it. I do well. I can't complain. Mm-hmm. But it, it was a um, it was a great moment at the time to be an enemy of the state of Richard Nixon. But it, uh, for the next twenty years, it was a, a problem. Sid, before we let you go, I just have to ask one more question too. Um, you obviously are renowned for your ability to guide major development projects through New York City and its complex uh, approval process. The New York City Football Club has been trying to find a home of its own since playing its first season in 2015. What is the single best piece of advice you'd be able to give the club and its owners when it comes to trying to figure out how to get this done? I think that they're on the right track. You know, I never thought that Yankee Stadium and what they were doing up there was right. Um, again, it was a taking a park. Um, and, and I can't tell you how difficult a fight that is. People, this city, people fight for every blade of grass or a little baseball field that, that exists, and rightfully so. Uh, so I think that the idea of Queens, which has everything going for it in terms of transportation, all, if they're doing in the industrial part, which is, doesn't, is not on parkland, they're in the right place. They've got a mayor who's willing to listen. Obviously, he said so. Um, and if they work along with that community, there's a lot of people in particularly among the Spanish-speaking people who live and and play in Queens uh, that will support them if they do it so it it, it abuts the park and doesn't take away from the park. That's the only advice I can give them. Said Davidoff, the man who was a mover and shaker for Arthur Ashe Stadium to get it built and to keep the U.S. open in the New York City area, Thank you so much, Sid, for joining us here on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We really do appreciate it. My pleasure. I thank you. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. Catch us here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. And catch me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm on Twitter at Scarlett Fu. And I'm on Twitter at D Sassauer. And by the way, you're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. 
And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.